0: In this episode of Decoding Sales, we're going to talk about how to handle curveballs in the middle of a high stakes negotiation. When something throws you off, how do you handle it? In a way that keeps your credibility, lets it keep momentum, while not giving away things you don't really want to share. That's what this episode's all about. My name is Alex, and I am the engineer.
1: My name is Peter, and I'm the salesperson for this podcast.
0: All right, Peter, well, let's dive right in. When somebody throws you a curveball, when you're this close to getting the deal done, how do you handle it?
1: I actually like to think out loud over a call with the prospect to handle those curveballs, you know, brainstorming in real time, showing that you're able to think on your feet and be nimble is really effective because it does a couple things. One is it builds credibility on the other side that you are, in fact, bringing unique solutions to the table and that you're not just simply parodying or repeating what your manager or your organization might want you to say. So that trust building factor, I think, is really important. The second thing I think that thinking out loud and getting on the phone to negotiate in real time helps with is, It really helps unstick some of the hairy negotiating points that are really hard to replicate in tone and dynamic over an email or written form or in piecemeal other forms of communication. So that's what I would do is just get on the phone and and really go through this negotiation ping pong in rapid fire so that you're able to get through the curveballs that may come about.
0: I love this idea of thinking out loud and using that to show that you can, you have the intellectual horsepower and the credibility and also just move things forward. I'd love to hear an example. What's this like?
1: Remember, we talked about the discount of going from 40 to 50 percent.
0: 40 percent is fine. Okay.
1: <laughs> Good. I'm glad you could. I'm glad I, I convinced you. That. I
0: already got it.
1: Love it. Love it. I'm glad yeah. you did. But in some cases, there are going to be customers or prospects who are like, listen, Peter, That's a really compelling argument for staying at 40%, but I made a mistake and it looks like the budget will only accommodate X amount of dollars. So we absolutely need to figure out a way to get to 50% discount. In that scenario, there's two options that you can play out. One option is to say, listen, I got to get back to my leadership and get back to you on exactly what we can do, given it does look like we have to get to that 50 percent discount, even though we agreed on 40 percent. The other option is to think out loud and say, listen, Alex, this is really putting me in a tough position. I will have to go back to my team to see what's possible. But just to think out loud and brainstorm with you for a few minutes here, let's say I were able to actually get to that 50% discount that you're asking for in the final inning. If I were to actually accomplish that, are there some other things that we can work on to make sure the partnership on our side is a little bit more palatable, a little bit more digestible, given that now we're going further in the discount world than what we initially agreed on, which was already a, a generous discount on our end. So a couple things I, I did there. One is that I acknowledge that I still have to go to my team and that I can't make any promises on this call. But the other thing I did is in your mind, I seeded this concept that I can't actually think on my feet. And that I can actually go through this hopefully negotiation spar with you that doesn't require me to go back and email you again and and wait another week, but gets us into a real-time conversation on what hypothetically can be possible if you and I can at least agree on the terms.
0: That sounds like a little bit of a conflict. Like If you're able to think out loud and you show that what you're showing is, yes, we can make some progress right now rather than getting delayed confidence because you're showing it, you know, going, I'm not sure if we talked about this before, but, you know, I often think about these things like momentum building and can we build some momentum? And if you have to go back and forth, it it really kills the momentum.
1: Yeah. Kill, time kills all deals. That's another sales saying, sales phrase. I don't know if you've heard, but it, it's true. You know, the more that you delay, the more that, you have to go back and speak with your internal stakeholders and then translate that to the other party, the more time the deal takes. And that's not good for either side. But if you're able to agree on the hypothetical terms that two people, you and the and the prospect can agree on before you get off the phone, it makes your life a lot easier because you're able to simplify what the next steps can be. And also, again, to my point earlier and to, to what you echoed, It breeds confidence in the other side that I understand that there's negotiation levers. I understand that I can be flexible, but we need to figure out a way forward based off of what we agree on.
0: So going back to that example for a minute, one of the other things that you were doing there, it seemed like you were kind of chewing up another thread of what commitments, what you get in exchange. So take me through when you're doing that. What are you, what are you think, what's behind what's coming out out loud? What are you thinking?
1: I mean especially in enterprise deals and any deal for that matter pricing is only just one lever that you can pull when you're negotiating. So what I'm queuing up in my mind is what else is valuable to our company when we're selling a platform beyond just selling as close to the list price as possible. So a couple examples of that one is that, you know, logo usage, being able to actually say NBC Universal is an official customer of Dropbox, for example is valuable because it has a waterfall effect and that indicates to the market that Dropbox is actually seriously in the enterprise. So that's one example. Another example is I could say, hey, Alex, you're a very reputable engineer in the Valley and reputable engineers have a network of other engineers that they can convince to buy our platform. So if you're open to it, if you really do say that we need to get that extra 10% discount to get to the 50%, Would you be open to having three or four reference calls with your peers to help pitch the platform along with us getting on those calls as well? That is also very valuable because now you're starting to think about, okay, it's not just one deal that we're talking about. We're talking about Alex's network being part of of the deal process. So those are two examples. Another one is a video case study. Alex, let's get you on screen. You have already given us so many sound bites around what Dropbox means to you. We'd love to document that and memorialize that in a video and be able to share that as we sell other customers. So if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to invest the time there, I'd love to go to bat for you again internally. Hypothetically, if we were able to get to that 50%, could you agree to any of these three things or maybe all of them? And I'll throw it back to you, but... I just want to be able to brainstorm out loud with you so that I can go back and confidently say that if we're able to accomplish this discount, there is something else that comes on the other side.
0: What are you looking for from your partner? Are there sort of like green flags or red flags when you're thinking
1: out loud? A red flag is if somebody says, Peter, there's absolutely nothing else I can do. I just know that for this deal to get done, we need 50%. If somebody says that and they're not willing to trade something of value, on their end to get that additional discount. I would say to salespeople who are dealing with this to actually strongly consider walking away from the deal because this sets a precedent for becoming a one-sided relationship and it will rear its head again in the life of the deal and it will come back. You know, six months later, a year down the line, this person might be very inflexible with your customer success team or your post-sales team. Or they're looking for something in the renewal that they never talked about. So I would say those types of prospects are better left kind of to their own means because they will become a resource strain, not only in the time of negotiation, but in the in the life of the actual deal beyond the initial sale.
0: That strikes me as very similar to advice I've heard many times people give candidates for engineering offers or, or other offers. You know, if the negotiation with the company, if they do something that maybe strikes you as a little in the gray area or unethical, don't negotiate through that. Walk away, because if you're doing it now, you can only expect what's going to happen once, once you're on the team and the, the power dynamics have shifted.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's you know, going back to something we mentioned in episode one again, strip line at that point. You know, if somebody really is inflexible and they're just asking you for something, but they can't give you something back, walk away from the deal. Because if that company really needs your platform and they really need you as a vendor, they will find a way to make it a valuable exchange. But the prospects that don't go through the effort of doing that just are simply not worth aligning with, in my opinion.
0: So it sounds like when you're in these conversations where you're kind of thinking out loud, you can kind of get get into a really good spot where somebody's just a great brainstorming partner, you kind of go back and forth. There's there's maybe like high trust there, you're both working with the same goal. There's another where somebody's just like super inflexible, it's very clear that it's not not gonna go anywhere. I feel like there must be a middle ground too, where for example, maybe this person is coming to you, they're maybe a little anxious, going back to that 40% to 50% discount example, we've kind of keep going back to, that person might not be feeling great about it either, That you know, they're, they're kind of letting you down. They've been with you on this journey. Maybe they're feeling a little bitten from the conversations internally where they got turned around by, by something they didn't expect. So Peter, how do you handle this emotional piece to either get them to come down from like an anxiety they might be sort of like managing internally or an anxiety related to trust that if they say something, well, you might feel comfortable thinking about it, but maybe they don't. How do you handle the emotions there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I try to get them to provide me context around exactly what's happening at the organization, right? Because you're right, when in an emotional situation where they're also disappointed and they don't necessarily trust their leadership, they're going to be very hesitant to give you full information of what truthfully is happening. So I'll say things like, listen, Alex, it sounds like a really frustrating situation. I guess just to break down a little bit what exactly is happening on the other side, just so that I understand. And and you, you notice what I did there, right? I'll stop there for a second. I'm directly saying, let's break this down. And I'm saying, I understand why this is frustrating. That's the first step, right? To get on their level. The second step is actually to ask tangible questions that get you the answers as to what exactly is happening. So after you say, hey, I understand this is frustrating. And then after you say, let's break this down a little bit, I go into, can you tell me exactly what the conversations were like? when your stakeholders said they needed to go from 40 to 50% and i understand it's a it's an internal conversation but i think it's important for me to understand that because if i don't understand the exact mechanics as to what's happened my leadership team isn't going to trust me to say that this is the last time i'm going to ask for a discount and the last thing i want is next week for me to ask them hey now it's going from 50 to 60% So what I did there, I slowed the conversation down. I guess we said this in episode three or two, go slow to go fast. And what I did was in a very measured way, say, listen, let's break this down and dissect this. And then I explained why I'm going deep because going deep into internal conversations can be seen as overstepping my boundaries. But then I logically told you why. And the reason is because, Next week, we cannot go from 50 to 60% because we're already going from 40 to 50. So that's how I engage with prospects on that level because then the answer on the other side can't be an emotional one. It has to be a logical breakdown of how we're going to move forward because the consequences they understand are large if we're going to do this again. And basically, what I'm saying is, As I said in the beginning, I already said it was an impossibility to go to 50%. Imagine what it's gonna be like to go from 50 to 60%. So I just wanna make sure we're not in that position. So can you tell me, can you guide me around what your conversations have been so we don't even go there?
0: It reminds me a lot of nonviolent communication as a sort of like discipline or, or concept where you sort of frame requests in terms of needs so that people understand the underlying reason for something, which makes it much easier to empathize with and connect it to something tangible rather than seeming arbitrary, it gives it so much power.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that I'm trying to put myself in the other person's shoes, but I'm also trying to have them do the same thing because I can't expect them to know the internal pressures I'm going through, and vice versa. So to do that in both ways is really important. Because if I were to just say, "Hey, Alex, I understand you're frustrated." And then proceed to ask you all these really intense questions, it might be very off-putting because you're already in an emotional state, right, of frustration. But you see what I did? I said, I know you're in a frustrated state and I know I'm asking really hard-hitting questions, but it's because I'm also dealing with the same sort of frustrations you're probably dealing with. And so that I think is really important because at the end of the day, even though the seller is selling and the prospect is buying, the pressures can sometimes be the same sort of feeling because you're both selling internally at the end of the day.
0: So let's pop up a few levels of the stack here. When you're thinking out loud in any negotiation, there's some things you want to give, some information you want to share, and there's some things you want to get. We've kind of talked about those. There's also some things you don't want to share. How do you protect those kinds of details when you're trying to be as open as you can be and think out loud?
1: That is such a good question. I think what you're saying is, right, going back, I know we're referencing the first episode quite a bit, but the first episode we talk about being authentic and transparent in sales. There is a boundary to that because sometimes if you're too truthful. It oftentimes makes what you're trying to get for the prospect seem easy to the other side. So I'll give you an example of that, right? Like, let's say I kind of have a 90, 95% confidence level that I can get that discount from 40 to 50%, let's say. I could say that transparently, of course. I could tell you, Alex, hey, I'm pretty confident that I can get that discount for you because you're an important customer. We've had a lot of discussions, so on and so forth. That's the wrong thing to say at that time because it's not a 100% guarantee, first of all. So you could be setting up false expectations. The second thing is...
0: And they're going to think 100% because people are bad at probability.
1: Yeah, and they're going to think it's a done deal because 90 to 95% seems pretty high. The other way to say that would be, listen, Alex, I'm not sure if I can get you that discount from 40 to 50%. As I told you, there's already been a lot of discussions to even get to 40%. I am willing to stick my neck out to try and get that 50% discount. We've never had that happen before in this late stage of deal, but I think I have some compelling arguments. If you're saying you're willing to give us logo rights and if you're saying you're willing to give us a case study and by the way you even offered to turn this into a 3-year deal. So if you confidently right now can say that those three elements you can provide, I'm happy to go to bat for you again even though there's going to be a little bit of egg on my face, even though I'm going to be a little bit embarrassed to go and get this extra discount, right? That's that's still a truthful statement, but you're not saying that I definitely think I can get this. What you're saying is I need to know from your end that what you're providing is 100% for me to do extra work because at the end of the day, it is extra work for you to go talk to folks and you are going to have to You know, swallow your pride a little bit to ask for an additional discount when you were confident that 40% was going to be the level. So, I think hopefully that answers your question. There is this fine balance of towing that line of how much information you provide. And I think, I guess, the high level lesson to this whole thing is make sure you're able to get the commitments from the other side first before you go and say that you're going to get that additional approval.
0: I think this is a really rich example and it's making me think about some lessons I've learned in my career about communication where I used to write these really long emails So I wanted to lay every fact out and you know every make sure nothing was missed and at some point I realized somebody read those emails so it didn't do any good maybe it made me feel a little bit better that in principle I could point in writing to like something to somebody it's the point that mindset missed the main point which is we get to the right outcome at the end and what you're talking about is kind of like that it's a a factual statement that you you have a belief that you might be able to accomplish something but if you say that it doesn't move the conversation in a productive way because it short circuits this actually a lot of important detail what i'm kind of hearing you say here is the goal has to be i need to lock in the prerequisites in order to make that 90 to 95 percent a sure thing and if I tell somebody or even make it 90, 95 percent, if I tell somebody it's 90 or 95 percent before I locked in the prerequisites, those prerequisites now won't fall into place because, yeah, he's got it. He doesn't need my help. And so in some ways, if you were, if you were to say that, it wouldn't even be a true statement,
1: even though that's true. Yeah, because the because the five percent, the latter five percent of getting that approval internally depends on some very key leverage points that the other side needs to give me. So yeah, you're right, like psychologically I try to focus first on what I absolutely need before I even say how easy or hard it is for me to get that approval.
0: How do you practice this in a low stakes setting? Because in a negotiation like this it's really high stakes, like deal or no deal, right? Like a, you know, binary thing might be worth a lot of money to a lot of people on both sides. If it's a high stakes deal, you don't want to be practicing this for the first time. So what did you do? How did you practice the art of thinking out loud before you were in front of a a prospect for the first time?
1: Yeah. And I would actually say the practice still happened for me on prospect calls. It just didn't happen during negotiations. So let me tell you what I mean by that. I would actually do this thinking out loud exercise in early parts of the partnership. To also just test out the relationship too. I do this even on first calls, and and a very like good example of this can be: Hey, listen, Alex, just to think out loud here for a second, are you saying that if we're able to actually automate the file saving process from when you upload a, a show onto your physical servers and it being sent out through a shared link to all of the other collaborators in your team? Are you saying that could actually be the key feature for you buying Dropbox as an enterprise? Do you see what I did there? It was a very solution-based thinking out loud. It was thinking out loud, not in terms of high-stakes negotiation, but it was still a brainstorming session with the other side, where hopefully it gave a little credibility on my end to say to the other side that I was first listening, and second, that I could think on technical lines of workflow process. So that's what I would say is practice thinking out loud as much as you can in the beginning of deals, because it'll be a warm up and a great practice for when you're actually in these high stake negotiation conversations.
0: And it cues it up. You're sort of foreshadowing that that's how you work. And so when you get to a harder conversation, it's not like this new tactic that's just getting pulled out that people aren't used to. And you vetted that they know how to do it
1: you're conditioning them to understand that you are a collaborative seller and that you are a collaborative thinker. And collaborative thinking doesn't just happen over a contract. It happens when you're actually trying to fit a solution into the problem as well.
0: That's almost the magic of two people talking to each other, right? Is the other person can help change your subjective internal state in a way that maybe you individually can't always do yourself. And that can actually unlock like new insight. Like I think that's part of why talking to somebody else can actually be a lot better than just kind of like staring off into the distance.
1: Yeah. And that's why people come away from high stakes negotiations feeling happy, right? Because the best negotiators are able to unlock that common language in the most stressful periods. And that's what gets me, you know, high off of negotiation is being able to start from such a dire situation being so far apart and then coming to a place where you are speaking that same language, right. Where you know, you're coming from different places, but you end at a similar result and that's super powerful.
0: And I think that's a great way to end this podcast. That's a great kind of final message that a stressful high stakes negotiation can leave everyone both better off financially, materially, but also emotionally.